Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Keep the dialogue coming guys. We're having a good time. We're getting loads of great feedback from around the world. Please get in contact with us. Let us know what you think of the show. The good, the bad, the ugly. We can take it. We're big. We're big. Well, some of us are bigger than others, but we're big boys. We can take it. Send through a note. Go to iTunes. Uh, go on to the ratings and review. Leave us just a one-liner. It helps get our mojo working. If you're a regular on the show, thanks for coming back. If you're a newbie, what do we do? We just find people who we think are interesting. We get them on the show. Talk to them about what they do to get their mojo working in and out of work. Simple as that. But folks, we'd love to hear from you in whatever form. And the more ratings and reviews you leave for us, not only does it get our mojo working, because we do this for free, and we have no advertisers, we have no sponsors, sadly. Um, <laughs> Hello to Corona and Tim Tam. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, does, it does help the show along, and it means that more people can get their mojo working. So mm. having said all that, Robbo, uh, welcome to this week's show. You're, you, you're good? I'm great, mate. I had I had a fantastic weekend, and I'm pumped to go this week. We got a big one. Do you, uh, do you know who's on the show? Uh, no. Do you? <laughs> Thankfully, yes, I do, and that's exactly what the show is about this week. Is yes, that's getting right. Your attention working, your Indeed. focus. The Mojo Pages. Actually, just as an aside, before we start the show, here's something for nothing. I am reading a fascinating book at the moment called Deep Work: The right. Rules for Focus Success in a Distracted World. I have to say, it's a very interesting read. I'm halfway through it, but I do find myself now being. A bit more thought goes into my work in terms of being focused on one thing and one thing alone. So mm. that's what the show uh, is about this week. Tell me, we get- tell me one thing before we get going. Are you a, a Kindle reader or do you prefer paper in hand? Uh, I am a, I'm a swinger. You're a swinger? So, yeah, baby. <laughs> I, um, yeah, baby. Um, I go from one to the other. So at the moment, okay. this book, Deep, Deep Work, is yep. on a Kindle. Yep. Uh, then I go to the library and get a hard copy. So I like to go backwards and forwards. Actually, mm. a couple of things just before we start the show. I did hear a podcast recently with a guy who talked about light. Mm. And he was saying that his theory is that in 10 or more years to come we are going to have degenerative eye problems because of reading Kindles and computer screens and mobiles and iPads and so on. Mm. His tip was, speaking of Kindles, that if you are reading on a Kindle to make the background black yeah. and that lessens the supposed blue light that is going into your retina. So wow. that's just a tip. However, I love my library. I love going in there and just cruising for an hour, sitting there in the quiet and just mm. being part of the community. I love that. Mm. I also like my Kindle because when somebody recommends a book, so if I'm listening to a podcast, somebody says, look, this book, which I did, this book, Deep Work, is good. I immediately go to Amazon. I download the free sample. It sits then in my Kindle library. Mm. So I never miss a book that someone recommends. So there's a couple of little tips on using it. There you go, Mr. Organized. Hmm. Mm. Well, it works really good because... It drives you. I, if I find if I've got a book waiting in Kindle, a book sitting next to the bed, it mm. drives me to get this one read. So it, yeah. makes, it, it gives a stimulant to, to read more because I read every night and most morning. Mm. Uh, but also, when I finish, I can immediately look at my Kindle library mm. and then go through the sample to say, do I like this person's style or the content mm. to warrant me spending money on a book? Because books are expensive. You know, either way, you, you're making an investment, you want good value. And Absolutely. I, the idea of 
putting it into your library as a sample means you don't, you know, because someone recommends a book and then you forget about it and then you finish a book and go, oh, well, I read next and mm. procrastinate and stuff. So, yeah. but I have changed my, this, my screen to a black screen just to see whether that makes a difference to eye strain and et cetera, et cetera. I'll give so, that yeah. a go too. That sounds like a good mm. tip. Gary's 20 cents worth. So what you got this week? I have got the five natural remedies for a bloated belly. Ooh. Okay. Now, a lot of people, I'd say even the people who are the wellest people in the world, mm. uh, suffer from this from time to time. And mm. Mia Stern wrote this blog, which I, I kind of liked because it's very usable, very practical, and it's all natural. Mm. I, I know so many people who are sculling Gaviscon or knocking down quickies or what's that other one? Min Mintech. Yep. Mintech. Here's another one. Yep. Uh, because they have this bloat in their belly. And mm. I quite like this story that runs through five natural things to do. The first of them being in the morning, first up, you have a room temperature squeeze of lemon with apple cider vinegar. Now, the reason that works so well, we've talked about this before in the show, is that apple cider vinegar is a probiotic, which is rich in enzymes, which helps the digestion. So it actually gets your guts sort of moving, mm. which is a really good thing to do first up in the morning. And then having a little bit of lemon in it, that's high in alkaline, which helps to balance out your body's pH levels because most of us tend to be really acidic as opposed to being in balance. Mm-hmm. So you mix those things up with a little bit of uh, water in the morning and that is good to go. So that's the first one. Second one is fennel tea. So uh, a lot of us go for our coffee in the morning. Not anything wrong with that, but you may always want to think about at some point during your morning having some fennel tea to sip on. The next one is having asparagus. Now, you know- In the morning? Yeah, well, at some point during the day. So if you are- perhaps preparing your lunch, you're preparing dinner and you're feeling bloated, mm. uh, asparagus will help with your bloating and inflammation because asparagus is a natural diuretic which gets things moving and pushing out some of the waste uh, in your system. Mm. And one you slip into your smoothie morning is ginger, isn't it? I do. A bit of ginger, yep. I, just li- mm. I also love the tingle on my tongue, I've got to be honest, from the ginger, mm. the, you know, a bit of heat from it. But yes, I do. Mm regularly use ginger in my uh, in my smoothie. So ginger is a very strong anti-inflammatory root. Is that what you call it? Like? Yeah, root vegetable, rhizome. Yeah. Like a rhizome, there you go. Yeah. And uh, so not only is it anti-inflammatory, but it, it also you can boil it in water, put it into your tea, grate some onto mm-hmm. your salad perhaps, or put it into your smoothie or juice. But yep. it really is very healing for the gut. And it's also a metabolism booster in thermogenic mm-hmm. food, which means it heats up your guts. Yep. And that can help with the passing and the processing of food if you're bloated. Yep. And my last one, number five, is cucumber water. So if you are sitting at your desk at work or having a glass of water somewhere in the house during the day to sip on, mm-hmm. uh, we know that we should be drinking lots of water. We, it's been talked about a lot. But if you put a little bit of a cucumber in there, cucumber water is a natural diuretic. It mm-hmm. contains silica and that can help pull the bloat out of your body. So uh, cucumber water, so a little bit of water, room temperature, throw in a couple of slices of cucumber, put ginger on your salads or into your smoothies and juices, some asparagus either in a soup or add it to your salads or your dinner, fennel tea to sip on, and your morning elixir, lemon and apple cider vinegar mixed up at room temperature with water, a teaspoon of raw apple cider vinegar, 
and a squeeze of lemon's all you need. I actually do that, and I must say that does get the party started downstairs. I'm going to add one to that. My um my gastro put me onto a good one when um when Tanea was pregnant with with Sophie, she was having lots of um, intestinal trouble and 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 reflux and all that sort of stuff, and he suggested uh, ginger and honey tea. Um, when she was feeling unwell. So it's just yeah, a couple of slices of ginger in your boiling water and then a teaspoon of honey. And we spoke about the benefits of honey last week. No need to go into that. And uh, worked like a treat every single time. So there you yeah, go. There's another is, one. Uh, that's a good one, actually. I, I reckon it's a beauty. Hmm. But I would say to make it work for your gut, go and buy your honey from an apiarist, like yes. somebody who actually has the bees. So go to a fresh food market or a stall yep. on the side of the road or somebody you know, get real honey because mm-hmm. the stuff we typically buy in some of the big box supermarkets is known as honey, but it ain't. And that is just basically an artificial sweetener. Absolutely. So it's a good point, mate. Yep. So there you go. The Mojo Radio Show. I've got a flashback for you. Flashback. As long as you're not flashing, that's all good. Let's do it. not flashing. (laughs) Who you got? Well, I thought we'd go back to our old mate, Colin Chodos. Oh, we love Colin. And the reason I say that is because it kind of ties in with our conversation with our guest today with Matt on the power of attention. But do you remember that piece with Colin where he talked about skills in listening. I not only remember it, it's something I've been trying to implement in my life since we had that conversation. So yes, I do indeed. It's uh, it's this bit that you're talking about, right? One of the things that I always ask myself as I'm listening is, why is this being said? And then I ask myself, what's not being said? And then I ask myself, what is the face telling me about what's being said? And then I ask myself, what don't I understand about what's being said? Because maybe I should actually ask another question so that I can actually get a deeper understanding about what's being said. So for me, the focus is not on me. The focus is on the other person. And that's the, that's the biggest thing I learned, is, is how to focus on the other person as opposed to focus on what's on my, in my head or in my mind. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been working hard at that since we, uh, since we spoke to Colin. He's very good. Now, that piece came from episode 47 of the Mojo Radio Show, guys. If you are in business and you're looking to build relationships and supercharge your business, please go back and have a listen to Colin Chodos, episode 47. It's an absolute cracker. So... That, that little piece about listening in, what's really, asking yourself questions about what's being said leads us into our special guest on the line today. His name is Matt Lumsdane and Matt helps people like Robbo and I or teams in the corporate sector improve their well-being, their productivity, their performance. But what's really interesting about Matt is he does it through helping people with the power of attention. Now, Matt's got his own backstory of years in the corporate world started to really think about what he wanted to do in life, has got a very interesting uh, career in the corporate world, now helping people all over the world with this whole thing about how do we get more attention. Fantastic topic, guaranteed to get your mojo working. So Matt Lomstein, mate, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you very much, Gary. Pleasure to be here. Matt, I've looked at your stuff. I'm fascinated by what you do. Just to start us off, can you just give everybody an understanding of what sort of work you're doing today and who you're doing it for? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, it, it might help to just give you a very brief bit of background is that, you know, I've had a long commercial career, corporate career, mainly in the software industry, but all of the time my passion was philosophy. So I started at a very young age with a somewhat nerdy pursuit, if you like, of 
trying to understand philosophy and um, it's been with me ever since. And uh, I'm talking about sort of practical philosophy, not, in, not, not academic philosophy. But the sort of thing mm. we're, we're looking at questions like how do we live life better? What makes a good life? You know, even bigger questions, what are we here for? So on and so forth. And I've been lucky enough to be able to tutor small groups in this uh, for well, over 15 years and study it myself. And I found that um, yeah, what I was experiencing in those philosophy groups and in that sort of discussion, there's so much wisdom, so much good knowledge. And then I'd go back to work, my day job, you know, selling software. And I found the disconnect mm. disturbing in a way. So um, what I have ultimately um, evolved into, if you like. Well, hopefully I haven't finished evolving, but at this point in time, what I'm doing is I'm bringing some of that wisdom from the world of philosophy and self-understanding and self-awareness, bringing it to people in everyday life, if you like. A lot of that's in the corporate sector. Um, a lot of it's just, uh, you know, middle-aged blokes like me, for example. Um, and just helping people understand that we are actually the authors of our own experience of life, if you like. Are we suffering a lack of attention, Matt? Is, is, that, is that an epidemic that we are currently facing in our community? Look, I think what it is, is I, I think it's a convergence of a couple of things, but definitely we'd all be aware that the, our environment has changed dramatically in about two generations or three generations. It's just incredible the change that's been experienced. You know, I mean, my grandmother went from horse and cart to landing men on the moon. We've gone from, oh, I don't know if you remember, Maxwell Smart and his shoe phone. Well, and look at the devices that we're mm. using now. And we're starting to talk about driverless cars and artificial intelligence. The change in our environment is rapid. And our evolution, if you like, is probably not quite catching up. So we've got these wonderful brains that have been designed over millennia to cope in a very different environment, if you like. Um, and mm. now it's a bit different, you know, and so our brains perhaps aren't left to their own devices, perhaps aren't coping with all of this change in our environment, with the information age, with the distractions everywhere. Um, you just have to look at some teenagers. Um, you know, I've got a 19-year-old son and, and the challenges he faces um, in terms of giving his attention to anything, learning things, um, getting deeply involved in things. It, there's a lot taking him away from that. And I think that applies to us all. So um, I believe we, it's not all bad news. I just believe we have to step back and say, hang on a second, we need to reset a little bit. We, we really need to look at how we're approaching this new environment we live in and how can we make the best of it. So epidemic may be a bit stronger word, but I do think that we're at a critical point where we have to do something about it. It's, it's such an interesting point, isn't it? Because I do, I do look at, say, a, a 19 or a 25-year-old with their ability to be able to handle short bits of information so quickly. And I do wonder how much is being processed and how much is being learnt and the effects it has on the people who may be around them with a lack of attention they're giving them. But can it also be a strength, like this, this attention you're talking about and the fact that we – so I read an article recently that our attention span is less than a goldfish. Yes. A goldfish's <laughs> attention span is nine seconds. The, the current attention span that we have as a community is eight seconds. Yeah, something like that. 
in in your mind, can it also be an advantage? Like, where, where do you sit on that? Where you're you're working with people in this whole area of the quality of attention? Mm. Yeah. Is there goods and bads to this thing? Yeah. Look, look. It can. There are certain tasks where that ability to um, chop and change and uh, deal with a whole lot of different things at once. There are certain activities where that is no doubt an advantage. Um, but you're leaving a lot behind if you become um, habitual, if you approach life habitually that way. So, mm. for example, you know, once upon a time you'd go to a restaurant or a pub and have a meal and talk to people and learn things about them and have a great relationship. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to find somewhere these days where there isn't a screen in place or background yeah. noise going on or, you know, it's, it's hard to give even five minutes attention good attention to someone. So I think where we run the risk of being good at processing a lot of information but not going deep, not developing deep relationships, not developing deep knowledge of people or topics. Um, so, look, there are different types of attention that are useful for different types of activity where I think the, the, the potential problem is nowadays is that we're being trained in one particular form of attention and I would call that scattered attention where your attention mm. is jumping around from one thing to another, never really rests, um, never really dives deep into something. And it's hard to imagine really good things being produced in that environment. It's hard to imagine new works of art, new creative endeavours, um, new ideas uh, because we're busy processing so much stuff that we don't get to that um, that level sometimes. What are the byproducts that you're seeing from this lack of attention? Yeah, well, look, some of them are quite obvious and even quite well documented, and one of those is a rise of stress. Um, you mm. know, we're not getting rest for the mind. Um, this is a big one. I'm pretty sure you'll be aware that we can go for a quite a long time without food. We can go for a, a shorter time without water, but we can survive with an, you know, for an even shorter period of time without rest. Um, we're resting ourselves physically, but not mentally. So uh, that's number one. Our lives, our minds, I should say, are so busy that there's not much rest. And this sort of can, um, it's like overworking a machine. It's not good for it. So that's mm. one. Um, the other thing is there's definitely concern about the uh, productivity, whether that's in the workplace or elsewhere, but definitely it's experienced in the workplace where people are distracted. Um, they're taking longer to get things done because they're distracted by emails and um, instant messaging and they're not focusing on something for a, a long period of time. One of the things I find with that, and I... Um, coach quite a few senior executives, one of the things I find is that they're just so distracted at work that this is why they're taking work home and they're working yeah. really long hours and their home lives and relationships are suffering as a result. So, um, I, you know, I think it's largely that. It's stress, poor productivity um, and, in a sense, uh, a lack of fulfilment because we don't have much time to contemplate What's going on? Well, that's what I was thinking too, Matt. I, I wanted to ask you about that, and I'm glad you brought it up because it seems to me this lack of attention would have an effect on creativity. And I was reading a book called Brain Chains, um, mm -hmm. which I don't know if you've um, seen. And this, it, it's an interesting book. It was all about 
sort of unleashing the, the power of the creative mind. And this study talked about the two parts of the brain, which is the reflecting brain, which is where you do calculation and thought and contemplation that you're talking about, and the uh, reflex brain, which, and she was saying that if we don't take time to disconnect from distractions, we always live in the reflex brain, which is just the quick answers to things. And she said that quite often that can be a good thing. So you're in tasks where it just needs to be done quickly. But if we don't give our reflecting brain time, which is about the gratitude, learning from the past, contemplating and imagining what if, then it affects our creativity. Is that something you're seeing or would, would concur with in the corporate world today that we are perhaps not giving ourselves enough time to be reflective and to contemplate and think? Absolutely. Look, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And um, you see it reflected in the, you know, a bit of an attitude of, well, that's not the way we do things around here. There's a lot of, um, you, you would perhaps see less creativity, certainly in the larger corporates, um, than you used to. Um, mm. A lot of copying what's been done before, you know, copy and paste, redo things. Yeah. Um, but in terms of connecting with the, the more creative centre of the brain, if you like, this has been um, an ongoing theme, if you like, that creativity doesn't happen in the really thinking, crunching, churning it out type part of the mind. It seems to come from a quieter place. And you may have heard that um, Mozart was in fact known to have said that he would conceive of a whole symphony in his head immediately in a quiet moment. So he said it would come to him as a whole when he was walking or resting or out in nature. Now, he then, of course, the hard work came along and he had to write it down and in his words he had to make it comply with the rules of music and uh, different instruments and so on and so forth. But the creative spark occurred in a quiet time. He still had to do a lot of hard work and a lot of thinking and be, you know, uh, an accomplished composer. Mm. There's also the example of Archimedes in the bath and the aha moment. Uh, he was trying to solve a complex problem <laughs> to do with weighing and uh, determining the amount of gold in the king's crown. But it came to him when he was relaxing in the bath, the solution came. Now, that doesn't mean we spend all of our time relaxing and we'll suddenly become creative beings. But it does mean we ignore that side of us at our peril. Is there a, a suggestion you give to people to immediately improve our attention? So we've talked about the distractions. We've talked about how it may be impacting us and the byproducts of, of a lack of attention and how yeah. it can actually be positive things. We've gone through that. Now, if we get down to, okay, well, how do I immediately improve my attention by minute, two minutes, five minutes. What, what's, what's a tip or a tool that you always think is the go-to for you? Yeah. Well, look, it's quite well known now and it's, can be, it's caused by different, called by different names, just a pause or a mindful minute or coming into the present. So there are a lot of different names for it. But the simplest thing we can do to start getting better at applying our attention is to practice it and uh, a beautiful practice is to come into the present simply by connecting with the senses. Now, you know, when our attention is scattered, when we're all over the place, you, it's pretty easy to see when you look at it. Our mind is either off in the future or off in the past. It's not in the present. So whenever you remember, just connect with the present moment by connecting with the senses. And that could be noticing the breath. This is a very easy one. 
just coming back to the sensation of the breath. Because any sensory input is right here, is right now, is in the present. It's as simple as that. Now, at different times, you'll find that easier than others, but it's like going to the gym, it's like lifting weights, you just keep practicing, and that will help you build up that attention muscle, if you like. So in its simplest form, uh, just stop occasionally in between activities during the day or whenever it comes to mind. Just stop, feel the weight of the feet on the floor, just gently connect with the touch of the breath wherever that's felt most keenly, just for a minute or two. You don't have to put on an orange robe and sit cross-legged. Just do that. <laughs> and it's remarkable how it shifts the brain. It's, it's like scratching the record. It's interrupting the habitual busyness, um, jumping from one thing to another. And I reckon if you were to do that uh, regularly for maybe even a week, a week or two, you would you'd almost become addicted to it because you'd see the benefit. Mm. And, um, you know, it kind of resets your attention and you can move on to the next thing with a fresh approach. Mate, is there an, ex is there an executive you've worked with in the corporate world that you have gone down this road with? Yeah. And you could give a, a real-life example of this guy or girl, they run this business and here's what they do now as their ritual or their practice that has had a profound effect on their performance productivity? Yeah, well, look, um, I can do and just, but as a, uh, almost every executive that I work with that I'm in a coaching sense, um, you know, they all present with different issues, um, managing yeah. difficult staff, becoming more strategic, uh, becoming clearer communicators. There are lots of different presenting issues. Um, maybe I'm a bit like the uh, carpenter that only has a hammer and he sees every problem as a nail. But I find that it always <laughs> boils down to this, that um, when people are experiencing difficulties in the corporate arena, in any arena, it comes down to they've developed bad habits around their attention, where they give their attention. So um, I always teach them this sort of practice and managing their attention better. So one interesting one, I was teaching a lady who, um, or uh, sorry, coaching a lady who ran a sales team for one of the largest insurance groups in Australia. And she had a vision for the team that she wanted to build up and she had a few people that she liked on the team and a few that she didn't, and one in particular that she was having a lot of trouble with. So I asked her to envision, envisage that team at their best, the way she wanted to, them to be, and she did that. Um, but she kept coming back to this one person that was always coming and irritating her and talking at her and talking at her and talking at her. And um, so I asked her to try this and I said, whenever this happens in future, I said, just stop, just feel the breath, just come into the present and then give this person your full attention, fully listen to the, to the person. And she said, oh, no, I can't do that. He's so boring. He's irritating. I can't do that. He takes up enough of my time already. Um, and I asked her to try it and to persevere. Next time we met, she came back and she said, I can't believe it. It worked. She said, I stopped. I paused and I gave him my full attention. I heard what he had to say and he stopped bothering me. It was, just, it was as simple as that. So it's a matter of in that instance, really, it was about she wasn't giving him any attention at all. And because people crave attention, we sometimes 
we, we go for any type of attention rather than none at all. It's like the naughty child that misbehaves to get the parent's attention um, or the employee who craves their boss's attention and will just talk and talk and, and you know, to the point of being an irritation. Um, as soon as she stopped, paused, gave this person her full attention, he was satisfied. It was fine and he went away. And so sometimes it's really simple things like that. It must be having an impact on families. Matt, hearing you say that, um, there must be a lot of these behavioural issues we're seeing. Because I, I, you know, I, I love children, love talking with school teachers and educators who can impact, you know, the, the prince and princesses of possibility of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And repeatedly you hear that the children, in, in a lot of instances, are lacking attention and they're just not getting that attention from their parents. This, this principally talking about in terms of the corporate world, do you also work with people in their home life? Absolutely, because it's very hard to separate the two these days. Uh, mm. You know, we talk about work-life balance, which is in a sense a misnomer, but, well, it, it works for our purposes. Um, the trouble is the blending of work and life. So if you are had a busy day at work and you've got still a lot of stuff to do and, you, you know, you can't get your head out of the three meetings you've got tomorrow and the two meetings that went wrong today, when you go home, you're going to carry that energy with you. And your kids are either going to be sort of irritations or when you talk to them, you'll talk to them like some unruly employee. Um, So it's no wonder that there are plenty of, let's say, very well-off families that that are quite dysfunctional because they're not, you know, they're not giving each other attention and you know, the guys or the mothers will come home from work and don't adjust to it, don't give the children real attention. So this is, once again, it's a really simple thing to do is when you're about to engage with your children, this is a fantastic thing to practice just before you walk in the door after a day's work, is just to stop, just to pause, just to let the attention subside and don't carry the work energy into the house when you see your children, give them your full attention. Even if they're talking to you about something you've heard five times before or you're not interested in, give them your full attention. There's no greater gift, really. Matt, on that point, I, an executive, he or she drives into the garage, drives to the front door, stops at the front door before entering the home. What's the dialogue that you have found is most profound for someone to go through? Like if there was a, a dialogue and a physiology that you would suggest people do for a period of time to adjust before engaging with the family, husband, wife, kids, what's that process look like for you? Yeah, well, look, the, the dialogue would be quite personal. I might go through, I'm, I, I certainly have some suggestions there. In terms of physiology, there's no, um, you don't really have to strike a pose, but the best way I've heard it described is to assume a dignified pose. So that kind of means a little, you know, straight back, sort of erect sort of posture, and then just tell yourself that you're gonna let your mind, give your mind a a, a moment to rest. So just instruct the mind that it's, this is not the time for thinking busily through things. This is a time for rest. And then just let's, let's stick with the breathing because that's an easy one to remember. Just focus on a few breaths and you will, with practice, you'll just see the, the sort of the busyness and the energy r- r- subside. And then set an, attention, uh, an intention 
for going into the house. Now, um, uh, look, I must admit to not having a religious uh, approach in this, but one of the nicest things I bring to mind, I think you can bring to mind, is the first line of St. Francis's prayer, which is just, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Now, you don't even have to believe in a Lord or anything like that to adopt that. It's just a lovely idea, being an instrument for peace. Um, that's one suggestion. The other is just saying, well, now I'm uh, going to give all of my attention to my family. I'm now a loving father, a loving husband, loving wife, mother. Um, it, it, one has to adapt it to their own uh, personality, if you like, but just set a good intention. Uh, when Gian introduced us, he said you work with uh, as part as part of what you do, you work with cracky old bastards, which <laughs> yes. um, Robbo, Robbo actually got very interested in. Um, yeah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> you don't know Why? any, do you guys? <laughs> yeah, apparently I'm a cranky yeah. old audio engineer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Look, um, this is... Um, <laughs> why are they so cranky? It's the people we work with. <laughs> the customer. <laughs> Bloody clients. I think it's pretty uh, uh, obvious that... Um, there is a rise in this what I call cranky bastard syndrome and I think it is a, a fallout from I guess the change in our environment, rapid change in our environment. And I do know because I have been one, in fact I'm, I'm not sure I'm completely cured of my cranky bastard syndrome myself, but um, there's plenty of people out there that, you know, they... They're guys that have probably done quite well, they've ticked all the boxes, they've met the expectations everyone else has for them, but they're still not quite happy. You know, it's like, is this all, all there is? I've educated the kids, I've, you know, secured a home, I've had a career. Why am I feeling flat and unfulfilled? I'm not enjoying much of what I have. And I think that um, this results in a lot of uh, underutilised potential we have um, blokes that are perhaps getting divorced sometimes for the wrong reasons um, and generally uh, perhaps withholding their best from those who need it most, which may be their families, but it's also the broader community. And um, that's an, a, a group of people that I'm working with now and I love working with, with them because, to be honest, it helps me uh, overcome my own problems at the same time. But... Uh, mm. Just getting together, uh, small group mentoring workshops where we look at a few, just a few key things, which are, okay, what are our expectations of life and, uh, you know, what are the things that piss us off? Let's explore why these things irritate us so much. Uh, what can we do about it? And a large part of the, the cure there is, you know, what are we attending to? So, for example, if we find ourselves railing against the um, the news, let's say, um, because we think that, uh, let's say, our government isn't uh, being a very good custodian of our taxes, those sorts of things that come up. We've got to look at why we're being pissed off about it. Is it because we, um, you know, is it because we hate taxes, for example, or is it because we love we'd love to see something more productive and more useful being done with them? So exploring whether we're focusing on negatives or Positives. Um, how can we write a more useful um, script for our lives in our latter stages of life, if you like? And, um, you know, practicing, managing our attention, putting it where it's useful, and having great results with that. There's definitely 
so much to do there with making um, cranky old bastards, turning them into wise old men, if you like. Those things you mentioned, like, you know, the tax man, you know, taking all our money or, you know, even being cut off in the traffic or, you know, someone cutting in front of us in a queue or... They're, they're things that have always pissed us off though, haven't they? It's just our reaction to it is, I think, is becoming more intense. Is that, would that be a fair observation? I think that's, yeah, I'm sure that's a fair observation. And um, I think it is, uh, well, perhaps one, one, these things are maybe happening more often, mm. you know. So if you expose yourselves to the news, which you can do 24-7, you're going to get a lot of bad news a lot more of the time. Mm. If you drive for any period of time, you're going to have a lot of other people behaving badly, mm. uh, these sorts of things. But, yeah, I think our reactions are getting more intense because I do think to some extent, the extent to which we're, let's say, exercising that reflexive part of our brain or the amygdala, if you like, the, you know, the protective fight or flight mechanism, that's getting a hell of a lot more exercise these days than the executive centre of our brain, the reflective. Um, did I say reflective before? I think I meant reactive. But anyway, we're not exercising our thoughtful, reflective part of the brain as much as we used to. And I think that leads to more intense, um, intense reactions. Yeah, right. Um, and if I may tell you a story uh, related to this cutting off in traffic thing that really brought this home to me. Um, this is quite a number of years ago, about five, six years ago, I was driving in the left-hand lane um, on a busy three-way street near where I live. I was used to ducking down there to gain a bit of time, um, angry at the traffic when I really should have been just accepting responsibility of the fact that I'd left too late. And this car turned out of the left hand, a street in front of me and proceeded to drive very slowly and hold me up. And of course, I started to get all angry and sort of yelling at this person, eventually got an opportunity to overtake. So I got into the middle lane and overtook and I went to look at the driver to give him a dirty look, knowing that that'd be really useful. <laughs> and there was my best mate. <laughs> Seriously, hey, I didn't recognise the car because it's his daughter had just become a driver and got this car for his daughter. So I didn't recognise the car, but it's worse than that. I mean, he and I went to kindergarten together. We were really good mates. That was a, a few months before he'd been diagnosed with brain cancer. Oh, no. So here am I getting cranky at my best mate who's got a death sentence uh. for slowing me down a little bit when... You know, it was all my fault in the end. You know, it's just a classic. I know that's a bit um, perhaps of a dramatic example, but we're doing that sort of thing all the time. We're making up stories about what's going on. We're making it too personal um, and we're reacting and it's mm. not helping anybody. Matt, at the start of the interview, you talked about, you used the word self-understanding and self-awareness. And I'm curious to know if you're working with, a cranky bastard of any description of any age. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I've heard so many stories about great leaders today. And one of the attributes of great leadership seems to be that the leader themselves, him or her, has a great understanding of themselves. They have a great self-awareness. Mm. If you're working with somebody who wants to get to that place, what questions would you pose to them or have them ask themselves? Because it's something that's talked about. It's something we know is powerful, but it seems to be something that's talked about, but not a lot of people know how to get there or to work it out. Yeah. Yep. Fair to say. Um, 
Look, and this is one that philosophers have been wrestling with for millennia. It was the primary instruction for the Greek philosophers. It was carved in stone above the, the, the house of the oracle in Delphi was the instruction, know thyself. And it's always mm. been a foundational stone for anything, foundation stone for anything uh, resembling wisdom. So uh, is there a quick fix for this, like, you know, stopping and focusing on the breath for a minute or two? I don't think so. But that's a start. You know, we need to get into that more reflective, less habitual space and ask ourselves the question occasionally, you know, well, who am I? Well, you know, what defines me really? Um, what do I want to be in life as opposed to what do I want to have, which is a more common question. Um, so a couple of things. It, it's, we're not going to come to any great self-awareness when we're distracted and busy and just reacting all the time to what's going on around us. It happens in those quieter, more reflective moments. And um, so giving ourselves more opportunity to be in that space is definitely an important thing. And I'm not just talking about holidays. I'm talking about every day. We haven't talked about meditation mm. yet. I have been a regular meditator for over 20 years now. And I think that that's a really, uh, well, I'm going to say, I am going to say important. I think anyone who uh, has been considering taking a meditation practice up should really give it a shot. Maybe that's something for 2016 um, because that's invaluable the insight one can get into oneself from uh, entering that quiet meditative space is really good. It seems to be, it's, it's really easy to work out what we're not rather than what we are. And I think it's pretty easy. You know, we tend to define ourselves by a lot of, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm middle-aged, I'm six foot tall, I have X in the bank account, I tend to be a bit cranky at times or I'm a really loving guy. We've got all of these descriptors for what we are, but none of them are sufficient. You know, none of them really can tell us who we are. Um, so I think some sort of reflective practice can be really helpful. What would a good descriptor be in your mind that would help someone resolve this Thought. I don't think the answer has been documented over the last several thousand years, so it'd be a bit tricky for me to give you a quick answer now. But I think the useful thing I find is that when I'm caught up in those sorts of ideas about who I am, I'll just stop and say, well, no, not this, not this. There's something more. Um, so I think it's more useful to frame it in terms of the sort of person that you want to be. So if you can mm. look around you and see who the people are that you really admire, what are the qualities they exhibit? Um, if you admire certain qualities in others, uh, it's a good chance that they're very important to you and uh, you work on those. So, for example, mm. generosity. You might feel that you're not a very generous person. That's something you can practice at. You can practice being more generous with your time, with your knowledge, whatever it is. Um, I think there's a really good guide for us in, look, I'm drawn to the ancient philosophers. The, modern, the moderns are good, but the ancient philosophers boiled it down um, very simply. You know, there's a handful of virtues that we all recognise and appreciate and admire. Um, they haven't been reinvented for thousands of years and they're things like, you know, courage, generosity, um, being loving, being... Um, faithful, all of these sorts of virtues, 
that I think most people listening to this program would subscribe to, I think mm. they're guides for who we really are. You know, if something resonates with us, if an idea or a behaviour resonates with us, chances are it's a pointer to who or what we really are. Mm. Or, or want to be. Yes, yeah. And look, I, okay, this is a belief that I have, is that we all do, um, when we feel unfulfilled, when we feel there's something lacking, it's because it's very natural for us to be drawn to what we really are. Um, so if there's, you know, you know, if we can identify what we want to be, chances are that that's really, we just got to get rid of the stuff that's in the way, the habitual ways of thinking, the, the unuseful ideas, the stories that we've told ourselves, the beliefs that we hold that are getting in the way. It's a matter of shedding some of that misinformation, if you like, some of that perhaps call it ignorance, and coming to who we truly are. And once again, I can recommend, recommend meditation for that sort of um, that sort of thing. Matt, you were in a, a plane crash in the Andes <laughs> some years back and there's no doubt that that had a profound effect on your life in many ways. Was there a promise you made to yourself after that day that still holds true today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, it was basically, the, the, the effect was remarkable because surviving something quite dramatic like that uh, can't but help have an effect. And, and initially what I... Um, I guess the key decision I came to was that I could decide what my life was going to be. Um, we were, you know, I was with a few mates. I had a broken back as a result of the plane crash, lying in hospital. We had people advising us to sue the, the airline. It was a Peruvian airline. The country was in poverty. The thing was a mess. And, um, you know, and people saying, well, you don't know. You've got a broken back. You're only 27. You don't know what this is going to do to your life. And um, I was kind of struggling over this a little bit. And I woke up one morning in hospital with this realisation that if I was going to sue the airline for damaging my back, I would have to adopt the uh, mantle of a victim. You know, I'd have to say, I'd have to start to believe that they'd ruined my life. And I said, no, no, not doing that. And I dropped the whole idea of suing them and replaced the idea that I was a victim with the idea that I was just super lucky to survive that plane crash. Um, so that to me was one of the most important lessons I could have ever learnt was that I can decide the meaning I'm going to make of whatever's presented to me and I can choose a useful uh, way forward. Um, so uh, that, that was interesting. And I did have an old nurse in the hospital saying, come up to me and said in, through a translator that I was meant for great things because I'd survived this plane crash. Now, I'm not sure I let that go to my head, but it did give me a sense of responsibility. You know, I was given another, a second chance. Hey, make something of this life. Matt, this has been uh, a great discussion and we'll let you get on with your day. Let's get one final thing. Uh, Rob and I quite often talk about Bruce Lee, the martial artist and, and movie star, and he had a saying, it's not the daily increase but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. What's something that you have hacked away at and gotten rid of in your own life in the last 12 months that's had the most profound effect on your world? Ah, that's a good question. In the last 12 months, it might be... Um the last 12 months might be a little uh, difficult to identify, but over a longer period of time, the thing that I'm really conscious of hacking away at is criticism. Uh, 
So when I notice criticism arising, whether it's of myself or of others, uh, I just really try and nip that in the bud because there is nothing good about that. You know, it drags down the person being criticised or the thing being criticised and the criticiser. So if there's one thing that I would advise anyone to eliminate from their lives, it's criticism. It's helped me and I think it's really powerful. Very nice. Are you a, are you, are you a journaler, Matt? Do you journal yourself? I do, yeah, and I think it's really useful. Um, I go in and out of the practice, um, but when yeah. I'm doing it, I find that it's really effective. I, you know, I just keep it pretty simple. I try to um, identify a couple of things I want to do during the day, uh, a couple of qualities that I want to uh, um, exhibit during the day and... Um, yeah, so just just set, setting a couple of uh, intentions for the day and at the end of the day just sort of reflecting on it and saying, well, you know, how'd I go? Well, I didn't get everything done. Yeah. Uh, maybe tomorrow's another day I'll, I'll, I'll do something more effective tomorrow. But I think journaling, getting things out of your head is a really useful thing to do as well. What's the one tune that gets Matt going in the morning or on the, in the car on the way to work? What's the, what's, the, what's the go-to mojo tune? Every time I hear it, I just get shivers down, up and down my spine and it's Superstitious by Stevie Wonder. Mm. It's not necessarily the lyrics, but just that, that tune. <laughs> that, uh, that keyboard at the beginning, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Very Um, if, if you want something, an answer a little bit more meaningful, mm. it's got to be Elvis. A little less conversation, a little more action. Ah. <laughs> and what, what did we think about the uh, the JXL remix a few years back? Or is it the original? <laughs> I don't think I've heard it. You haven't heard that one? No. Oh, goodness. I'll have to send you a copy. <laughs> Appreciate that. A little less conversation, a little more action, well, this has been uh, this has been great, mate. I knew I'd enjoy our chat with you. Thanks for sharing with us. Um, if people would like to get in touch with you, Matt, or learn more about the work you're doing and how you go about doing it, where would you send people, mate? Well, I do have a website, which is uh, it's simply mattlumsdane.com. And, uh, you know, there's a spelling issue there, but it's M-A-T-T-L-U-M. S-D-A-I-N-E dot com, and that's a good start. And pretty soon I'll have the Cranky Old Bastards website up and running as well, so that'll be just crankyoldbastards.com.au. You could just call it robbo.com.au apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There'll be a click through to the Voodoo Studios. No doubt on that one. So, um, exactly. Well, th- thanks for your time, mate. Good luck with everything. And I, I love, I think the thing that really attracted me to your work was the 25 years of combining the philosophical study of meditation and mindful practices with business acumen and commercial pragmatism. I think that's, that's such an important piece to bring those two things together because we hear about, you know, both bits, but we don't often hear them combined and presented in such a way that it's usable and practical. And I think your time with us today has been terrific and we really appreciate it, mate. Well, thanks very much, Gary. And thanks, Robbo. It's been a pleasure. I'll leave you with one comment that uh, the value of an armchair philosopher is confined to the armchair. Uh, you've got to get it out there into the world. <laughs> I like that. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I think that's such an important topic for us to take away from this show mm. is I think the things that are missing for us is we don't pay attention and I think Matt covered that off really well and you and I have talked about that before and the discipline to lean in that Colin Chodos talked about, I think that's a, uh, that's a cracking 
that's a cracking interview. Yeah, put those two together and there's some absolute gold mixed in amongst all that, isn't there? Hey, um, I was going back through our old archives on the weekend mm-hmm. and I found this wonderful pause for a cause from yeah. Aiden from South Africa. Can you play this for me? How's it, boys? It's Aiden here. I'm a long-time listener of the Mojo Radio Show and today, first-time caller. I want to bring an important cause to you and your many listeners' attention. The poaching of black and white rhino has escalated to such levels in recent years that they are now very close to being extinct in their natural environment. This is being driven by a growing demand for the horn as a medicinal product and as a status symbol. It's got to the point that one of these magnificent creatures is being killed every eight hours. Or put another way, since last week's Mojo Radio Show, 21 rhino have been killed. Out of this, the Australian Rhinoceros Project was born and it has one clear goal to ensure the survival of these majestic species. The aim is to build a breeding herd of rhino in Australia as an insurance population for the world. The website is theaustralianrhinoproject.org where your listeners will find all the up-to-date information and how to get behind the cause. I'll end with a quote from the great man, Nelson Mandela. I dream of an Africa which is in peace with itself. I dream of the realisation of the unity of Africa, whereby its leaders combine in their efforts to solve the problems of this continent. I dream of our vast deserts, our forests, of all our great wilderness. We must never forget that it is our duty to protect this environment. Cheers, boys. Love the show. Keep up the great work. I remember that. That was a while ago now, but fantastic cause, isn't it? And that Mandela stuff, I just, it, brings, it gives me tingles every time I hear it. Absolutely. Well, um, I've got a little story off the back of that for you. Here's a ripper. Yes. You know, uh, you know of David Pocock, the, uh, yes, the Wallabies yeah, flanker stroke number eight. And a big fan of the Mojo Radio Show. Well, all the Wallabies are, you know? Yeah. Michael Checker went over to the Wallabies and said, guys, <laughs> if you're going to play for me, you've got to listen to this. Right? If you want your Mojo Wacky as a team... <laughs> Yeah, In absolutely. Fact, the rumor has it they actually played a few of our shows right before running onto the pitch at Twickenham. I'm just saying, right. it's, it's, it's a rumor. Yeah, the only, <laughs> I can't verify the, it. The only problem with that would be that they lost. <laughs> <laughs> but they still have their mojo working. Indeed, a team a team that can lose <laughs> and still have your mojo working. And hello to all our friends at the All Blacks. Congratulations again. Guys. Indeed. Can I? I just wanted to say though, in in regards to David, he he's. Obviously a guy who's just so full on with his passions that he's just commits, you know, 100%. He, um, when he should have been lying on the beach or sitting around the pool after the, the Wallabies World Cup campaign and the, the season of last year, you know what he did? He jumped on what? a plane straight from England and went to South Africa and spent his off season protecting the rhinos in South Africa, working with, um, really? with local villages and, and this, um, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name of the security guards that they that protect them. But yeah, he spent his sole off season in South Africa working with these guys and and um, and helping them protect the rhinos. In fact, he tweeted, "I'm committed, passionate, and enjoying what I do. Inspiring to see the commitment in the face of real danger and the challenges of conservation." So um, so there you go. Just a you know bit of inspiration. There's a man who's obviously uh, passionate about what he does and what he enjoys doing. So um, good on well, him. Well, the thing with that is we know from our show with. Dr. Tim Sharp, that the most prevalent avenue for us finding happiness in our own lives and the lives of others is to help somebody else. Yeah, so exactly. I think for David Pocock, it, um, 
And that whole rhino thing, I think, is just a fantastic cause. And it must be terribly emotive when you get over there in amongst it. You know, you mm. get close to it. You see these magnificent beasts mm. being slaughtered. So uh, good on you, mate. It's a great story. Indeed. So uh, we should probably finish up this show with a tune, as usual. I've got one uh, that's right up your alley, Cowboy. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's that? Gina Jeffries. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, for those of you who don't know, an Australian country music singer-songwriter. Um, in our days at the M's, the House of the M's, the Holy House of the M's, uh, we had a breakfast host who did a, a segment called the Musical Challenge. So he would take a band or an artist and throw them a complete curveball in the way of a song that they had to perform. So when Gina was on his show, he gave her um, Radiohead's Creep. And this is wow. the outcome, and it's stunning. So uh, enjoy, folks, and we'll talk to you next week. From the House of the M's, let us pray. When you were here before Couldn't look you in the eye You're just like an angel Your skin makes me cry You float like a feather in a beautiful world And I wish I was special You're so special But I'm a creep I'm a widow What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong If it hurts, I wanna have control. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. I want you to notice when I'm not around. You're so special. I wish I was special But I'm a queen I'm a widow What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here Oh, oh, she's Don't 
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.